Welcome to Explore, Teach, Conserve, or the ETC podcast by the University of Minnesota Extension, where we talk with people about exploring, making discoveries, and solving problems to better manage our natural resources, and we share ideas to help you learn more and get involved. This is an older episode from when we used a different title, The Naturalist, but the conversation and ideas are still fresh. If you enjoy it, we hope you'll subscribe and listen to more episodes of Explore, Teach, Conserve, or the ETC. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Naturalist Podcast by the University of Minnesota Extension. I'm Nate Meyer, your host today, and we are going to be talking with John Logering from the University of Minnesota Crookston and our own Minnesota Master Naturalist team about his work to monitor migratory birds in the Red River Valley. We'll also share some ideas about where you can learn more and get involved. So let's dig in, John. This is a podcast about new discoveries and solving problems to better manage our natural resources. Many of our listeners know you as a master naturalist team member and instructor, but you're also a wildlife researcher on the faculty at the University of Minnesota Crookston and running a bird banding station in the Red River Valley. What are you working to discover? or What problem are you trying to solve with that research? Well, it's great to be here, Nate. I think one of the things that uh, the bird banding station is addressing, it's uh, part of a nationwide, uh, well, continent-wide, I should say, series of banding stations that um, are under the, the title of MAPS, M-A-P-S, Monitoring Avian Productivity and Survival. So our goal is really to, to capture a wide swath of birds and uh, you know place bands on them and then document the recapture of those birds to get estimates of survival. And we also can look at uh, productivity or reproductive success by looking at the ratios of youngsters of different age classes um, of birds that we, we catch initially and then we recatch. Uh, we were able to contribute at least a northern Red River Valley, uh, well, at least in the United, continental United States, a Red River Valley station um, to address the bird species we have living around here and contribute that really to a master data set that includes many, many, many uh, hundreds of thousands of captures annually uh, to try to get an estimate of these vital rates that are essential in understanding why many of these bird species have been in strong decline over the last 40 years. You know, a recent study uh, last uh, October, October 2019, came out um, and said we'd, we'd seen huge drops in the number of bird species that are present uh, in North America, huge losses. You know, so, some species have declined over by over 50%. Um, there's some groups of species, suites of species um, are, you know, down 50, 60%. Some are up, a few are up, but uh, many of them are down. So uh, I think the intent of the article was to sort of raise awareness and say, hey, we need to start looking at this more carefully. Uh, that's part of this program that was started maybe uh, two decades ago to try to, to try to gather this information so we'll have better information to, to, to plot the way forward for the conservation of birds. So give our listeners a peek behind the scenes. How do you go about your work and what are one or two cool tools or strategies that you use in, in working on the MAPS project? What we use, we have a lot of fun. Uh, there are a lot of interesting and, and I'm not sure, I'm sure they're cool to others. So we now after using them for 10 years, they're, uh, they're, they're every day to us, but 
the, the program is we have a site um, at the Red River Valley Natural History Area uh, where we set up essentially a screen tent to, to sort of use as a home base. And then we set 10 nets throughout the forest in, in, a, in a circle so that we can walk a circuit and, and uh, retrieve the birds on a regular basis, at least hourly, if not half hourly. We set up these mist nets. They're very fine mesh um, so that, that when you set them up, they're, you know, they're, they're three meters high and 12 meters long and birds can't see them. So they'll, they'll be flying through the forest and, and become entangled. Um, and then frankly, they hang there until we walk over and, uh, and extract them. Um, and then, so we set those up. I open them up at sunrise and then we run the station for six hours. We close them after six hours. And uh, of course we process the birds about every hour. We, the, the every hour is a minimum. Sometimes we'll process them you know, more rapidly, but you, you wanna just walk up to the nets, find out what birds are there, extract them, and then bring them back to the banding station for, for processing. Um, at the banding station, we have lots of uh, fun tools. We get special pliers to apply the bands. And these bands are, are, are tiny little um, aluminum, uh, uniquely numbered bands that are distributed by the bird banding lab. They are fairly soft, so we get special tools to open them and then special pliers to close them. Um, these are pretty small birds. Most of the birds we banned are between 9 and 11 grams. So, so your car keys, you know, whatever you reach in your pocket, that's way heavier than that. In fact, maybe two car keys is about 11 grams. And, um, oh, you know, although, we, although we, we do catch occasionally a Cooper's hawk or a pileated woodpecker, and uh, that is a more exciting uh, opportunity because they're obviously bigger and stronger. And uh, woodpeckers are notably uh, uh, challenging because they have the ability to peck your, peck your hand and draw blood and that sort of thing. Uh, they're actually pretty docile, uh, but, you know, anything that, you know, you're grabbing a hold of it and hanging on to it. So it, it does try to fight occasionally. Uh, we've got several tools to measure them carefully and, and uh, great resources, uh, a book that, you know, we can essentially take any bird that we catch and look at the various distribution of feathers, how worn they are, uh, how recently they've been replaced and be able to tell its age and sex through several years of life. So that's, that's kind of a fun skill. It's probably the most challenging thing I've, I have done um, in my la in the last 10 years of my career. You know, I've, I've been, I've been a professor for, uh, for, for 20 plus years. And uh, this is, this is challenging because uh, it's different for every species and just to kind of get everybody, uh, get all the characteristics known. Um, some of the fun things, some of the surprising things um, you get a chance to, to, to do at a banding station are, you know, um, if you've ever get a chance, uh, listen to a bird's heartbeat. Um, it's, it's a, phenomenal experience because you look at this little creature and and uh, we're all used to listening to our heartbeats going lub 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 and uh, of course their heart rate is in the 500 per minute sort of range so it it, it sounds like uh it's just a just a blur so, so they're kind of fun um, and that's that pretty much all birds you can do with some of the surprises are things like chickadees black capped chickadees are the the common minnesota bird everybody loves chickadees uh, everybody thinks they look cute um, let me tell you, if you get them in your hand, you better be prepared because they are not uh, cute in their in their temperament. They have the appropriate Wolverine-like temperament that you would need to live in northern Minnesota through the middle of winter and do just fine. So <laughs> they are uh, they, that is often a surprise for many people. And then you know things like grackles uh, have surprisingly sharp bills, so that when they bite you, that you can feel it. It's not a crush; it's a it's a more of a slice. So, you know, all sorts of things you get to learn about birds, and uh, you know, we love just taking everybody who'd like to come out and uh, and show them. It does take specialized training, but we do take volunteers at our map station, and uh, many map stations throughout the country uh, do train volunteers uh, to to do that sort of work. So, if you want to work more closely with birds, it's it's one of the opportunities you might have.
So you've talked a little bit about, um, you know, surprising traits of birds, but I wonder what is your favorite or most surprising result or insight from your work on the MAP project at this point? Well, we've, we have a couple of contributions that I think have been pretty pretty substantial. Uh, one surprising thing that we found out very early on is that there are a couple of different flycatchers that live in this part of Minnesota. And for the most part, they all look identical. If you see one, you can't tell them apart. You have to hear them call. And we also survey the birds at that map station using our ears um, as well to try to get some sense of what's there. And early on, we thought we only had one different, one species of flycatcher. And in, indeed, after catching them and carefully, and, and with flycatchers to tell them apart by physically measuring them, um, you know, birders will, will well know that if you pull up your binoculars and, and you look at one of these, you know, the, the, you know there's, there's a willow flycatcher and an alder flycatcher and a leaf flycatcher. These are actually pretty easy to tell apart, but you can't tell them apart by, by, by sight. Even in the hand, we have to take very careful careful measurements and use somewhere around, you know, three, four, sometimes five, sometimes six different characteristics in concert to tell the different flycatchers apart. So one of our discoveries is that, you know, we, we found out that we have a, a couple of different species of flycatcher in our, in the Red River Valley that we did not realize we had uh, just by listening. Some sing more than others. And so we found out we're right kind of at this, this integration zone between, you know, we get trails flycatchers and as well as alder flycatchers and willow flycatchers so it's it's kind of a neat uh, a neat little discovery we've, we've also found some birds that are you know, normally forest birds showing up here on the prairie which is a little bit odd but but i think that's just uh, how biology works the the books draw really crisp clear lines about the distribution of species and the species don't read so you know they do occasionally show up where you're not expecting them our listeners love to learn more about and help with environmental stewardship. So what is one thing you suggest that they can do to help with your efforts? Well, you know, I've always been a strong fan of general bird conservation. So there are a couple of things I can think of on a, on a broad scale, you know, supporting the Minnesota DNR's uh, non-game program is, is one way that uh, they work a lot with the sort of species that I work with on a personal level, uh, making uh, environmentally responsible choices and the sorts of food products that we we purchase and uh, you know that could be everything from trying to uh, move your coffee purchases to a more uh, shade grown sort of situation where we're where we're at least getting some bird benefit in the tropics from from that product uh, production uh, to, to just simply um, managing um, your use of plastics and such because uh, that's an inner you know that's an interface that uh, folks often don't think about but uh, you know, any, anything you throw away that might show up in a landfill that's stringy or that is, uh, you know, fishing line and, you know, any plastic netting, uh, that ends up um, getting caught on birds and is, uh, is an awfully, uh, is a source of mortality in certain local areas. So um, just being, I, send, I guess, just being uh, environmentally aware and conscious, you know. If you want to feed the birds in the backyard, that's a fabulous way to support your local bird community as well and generally has been thought to not be uh, very detrimental. Mammals, different story. Don't feed the mammals feed the birds. Occasionally a squirrel is going to get in there. That's that's a whole, we can talk a whole nother time, Nate, about how squirrels are smarter than people, but that's a, that's a different story. Last question. I know you are somewhat familiar with social media apps. So what is a hashtag that you wish would really take off? Like millions of people are sharing it. And it could be something about your work or just something important to you. <laughs> um, 
Wow. I I don't know that I, I'd have to make up a hashtag because I can't think of a single hashtag I have seen other than to promote the sort of things that, you know, we do in the Master Naturalist program. You know, we've had Trail Tuesday is a, is a fabulous program that they've uh, that some of my colleagues have been uh, engaged in. Um, certainly hashtags regarding uh, National Public Lands Day where we all get out together and, and, and support uh, each other. And, um, you know, I, I guess uh, the other more self-serving hashtag is simply that, you know, birds are fabulous flying machines. And that's, that's my hashtag of the day. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of The Naturalist. Huge thanks to John for joining us on the podcast. Visit birdpop.org to learn more about the MAPS program, explore bird population trends, and view the continent-wide monitoring sites like the one John talked about today. This episode was recorded over Zoom from our homes during the coronavirus pandemic in 2020. We hope you enjoyed the opportunity for some advanced training during your daily walk, while gardening, or while sitting at your desk. Give us a thumbs up or drop a comment to let us know you value the podcast. Pass it along to others. We look forward to sharing another episode soon. In the meantime, stay safe, be healthy, and we hope you enjoy Nature in Place.